What can the gays do? Who is gays upon? Who does the gay sing? This podcast segment intends to expose a new point of view from which the viewer can interact with films. This podcast invites to reflection, to the awakening of curiosity. In short, to try to see through another pair of eyes. So what, what other examples would you consider to have a female gaze? Or could you give an example of several TV shows and movies you've watched and have shown a female gaze? Or maybe um, attempt to think with a female or feminist gaze? Yes. Um, so I, in my personal life, but also in what I've studied, I focus a lot on the US shows because I really enjoy... The very dual. This this the American society has a very interesting perspective on everything that is gender and minorities, and we can see that with everything that has happened this past few years. And I think that's also what gives a strength to some of those shows. Mm-hmm. And so I will mainly talk about U.S. shows that have been trying to implement a female or feminist gaze into their stories, but to different extents. Mm-hmm. And I will go a little bit like chronologically in order to also see the evolution that TV has come to. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I would like to mention Girls. It's a TV show that was created by Lena Dehem in 2012. It is the first show that I've watched and I thought, wow, that is something completely new that has something to say about female representation, feminism, and uh, women's place in society. It was really a like a new perspective that I feel like um, that was given on TV. And the interesting th- thing is it wasn't aired on a public TV. It was actually HBO. And it has been shown that private channels like HBO, but also Hulu, which is where The Handmaid's Tale is aired, have more possibility of showing different perspective on women's life and women representation. Before you continue, you were were talking about the platforms like Hulu and HBO. Do you think platforms like Netflix, do they also have progressive way of movie making and series making, would you say? Yes, um, I, I do believe that because they are priv- they are owned by private sectors, therefore the money investment in those are private. They have more liberty. Mm-hmm. The problem in the US, I, I, I don't really know about in Europe because it's, it's very different. The culture is very different. The way of giving money to channels is very different. The people who do the TV shows are not specifically the channels. Usually it's a TV show that is being made and then being bought by um, each channel. Whereas here, sometimes it's the channel that asks pitches in order to be made. In in Belgium, we have that with the RTBF now, mm-hmm. which um, search actively for TV shows and help making it. So, But for a long time, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And in the US, the problem with public channels, at least from what I understood of it, is that the public sector um, and what goes on the public channels is heavily, heavily influenced by the association of parents. Mm-hmm. And this parenthood control is very a pain in the ass in some <laughs> thematics because obviously um, those parenthood control are very conservative. And so they don't want to see nudity. They don't want to see something else than heterosexual relations. They mm-hmm. probably also don't want to see mixed race couples and so that has a huge drain on what we can see in public for example swearing is also completely forbidden whereas on hbo and who and i think netflix now you can swear mm-hmm. and so there's a huge gap in between the private sector that can really do not anything but they can do way more because they do not depend on this parental control whereas the public unfortunately can be um can be stopped by this because it's a huge lobby in the u.s and netflix is not there yet but they have came up with like for example 
but it's not the female gaze. But there is this TV show, the British TV show, uh, Sex Education, shows、mm. that Netflix is trying also to be more inclusive and more open.、Um, so it starts. I just wanted you to make this point between the private and public sector because it's true that TV will never really tackle these issues. Also, the the audience that is targeted, it's not at all. Uh, gonna be very receptive、yes. to these new shows.、Um, so, girls, for people who haven't seen it, it follows a group of four young women living in New York. They're a group of friends, and what I love about this show is that it has a complete female empowerment feeling that comes out of it. When you watch the, I think it's four, six seasons. You really see the evolution of those women who are searching to be more empowered, to know what they want in their work, but also in their sexual life and in their body. And so it shows diversity of the women's bodies. It doesn't censor censor、uh, bodies that doesn't correspond to femininity standards. It was something that Lena Dunham, who created it, and who, by the way, is the creator, producer, director, and、uh, she also plays in Girls. Um, so she's doing everything. So, Female-driven, on and off show, and that's one of the things that struck me the most as well. And that gives her that possibility of exploring those topics without being、uh, stopped, because obviously, obviously, she's a woman and she has previously done a lot of work on her her image and what her body is to her, and so you can see also. Uh, that thinking going through the series, and so Lena Dunham shows her body and her sexuality without hold. She she is not a very、uh, thin female with long hair and everything. She has a different body, but it's so refreshing to see those bodies being represent, represented. We can see that her character、uh, has insecurity. She has some strength. She has happiness, fears. And all of that is shown through her point of view, her female perspective in today's society. As I said, it is a woman-led show on and off screen, and it completely deconstructs the perfect female body.、Um, for example, she has a friend, her one of her best friends. You could say that she corresponds to the standards, but she, it is deconstructed because she does not feel secure in her body. She actually has a lot of insecurities, and it's showing the reality of being a woman living. In a body and having all of those images coming to you, and choosing to reject it or to incorporate it in your body, and and also also shows how women have to like navigate in in the society that it is,、um, and so. The, the female gaze. To go back to to the main focus of the pod, the podcast, the female gaze is present through all of those elements. It is truly a show made by a woman to show a woman's perspective on her life, her sexuality, her body that isn't the norm, but also the relations she has with、uh, her boyfriend. And so, it's really a great show. It was started in 2012, so it's. Almost ten years old now, and、mm. so for that time, I feel like it was a really great show. The only problem with the show is the question of diversity. There's a lack of diversity. The main characters we see are all white, middle class, if not upper class, women living in New York City. They're doing mostly creative jobs.、Uh, the people that they date are also、um, white for the most part, and so it's a very specific. Point of view, female point of view, and so I think that is one、um, thing that we can take away from that show.、Uh, one thing that could be a little bit negative,、um, despite all of the positivity that it brings and it has brought to society. It's very innovative for 2012. Weren't really like that of a trend. I mean, if we're talking about American TV. There's still in 2021 a lack of diversity. Going back to the female gaze, maybe could you make a comparison between I don't know what typical male gaze、mm, movie, how they show themselves. How could you say that's a female gaze? I would say mostly is about how Lena Dunham's.、Um, so her character is Hannah. It's called Hannah, and the female gaze is very present. 
when it comes to her showing her body and the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. She is not afraid to show her naked body. Mm-hmm. Where that has a little bit of extra, I call that extra cuteness, but it's <laughs> a little bit extra fat. Um, she is not very slim, but she shows that body. And she shows it with the camera and she doesn't, she's not trying to sexualize her body. She's trying to show it and show how different bodies can be. Mm-hmm. That is one example of the, this feminist gaze. I feel this is super empowering because uh, yes. as, as a female, when I was younger, like, I don't know, like 15, I would watch a movie and see how these perfect girls, like, you know, like every sex scene, you know, they would be just perfect, like the perfect light, perfect uh, underwear, they would be just perfect. And watching now new films where girls that are like real girls can also identify yourself and also feel more secure, you know, because you're not competing with this like completely hot girl in TV. I really like this example. <laughs> yeah, it's also shown in the sex scene. In the sex scene, she, she doesn't just show missionary mm-hmm. sex. She shows other form of sexual acts. Mm-hmm. And that is also something very important because in like usually we see the missionary position and there she shows different ones she also shows like herself with like her makeup leaking mm-hmm. because when you have sex your makeup doesn't always stay on your face of course and so it's all those little things in, in the way that she captures a sex scene that she captures a talk in between a couple that is more raw and more true to what we live mm-hmm. and not like embellished and beautiful like when it's a fight scene there's like a, a music coming on so we don't really hear what they're saying or it's like cinematographic no they're sometimes on the show girls you just hear them scream mm-hmm. and it's normal it's a fight and so it's this coming back to reality mm-hmm. when it comes to relationships to body positivity to sex scenes that for me shows a female slash feminist gaze it's also the persona of lena dunham who has always been an advocate for body positivity for loving your body the way it is and for feminism Mm -hmm. so this actress slash producer artist who created that show herself is also very important in that feminist case um let's not forget about that is that she made the show mm-hmm. with the intention of showing a more feminist perspective uh, i'm not sure if you know this but was this series hit was it famous the the first few seasons um i think got uh, it got good reviews i'm not sure that they ever won um a like an award mm-hmm. uh, but it was definitely it was seen I personally think it wasn't as much it didn't get as much positive comments as it should have um, not enough people saw it I, I really believe that those kind of shows putting aside the um, the like of diversity those kind of shows should be more put into the spotlight but I know a lot of people see I've seen it the academia uh, have read um have read and written a lot about it as well. So on the Akindimi side, it really was important. It was an important show. In the US, it was a relative hit, mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot of people have seen it in Europe, unfortunately. Yeah, I think this is the kind of series that sometimes people are like, yeah, well, right now all the series are kind of pushing all this uh, all this feminist theory and most people grow to be like lacking this interest in a new perspective. And that's why I really think that everything you're saying and everything we're discussing in this podcast is super interesting because we're talking not only about a USA perspective that is usually the, the one that is always exposed, but we're also talking about Europe, you know, like... Um, how this kind of series are perceived in, in Europe. I really find that interesting. So, another show? I would like to also talk about the show The Affair. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is a, a little bit the same. Uh, you're going to see a recurrence, unfortunately, uh, because as you've talked before, the question of intersectionality is just is just lacking, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, in Though it has increased, there is still a huge problem about 
having a diversity representation or a div diversity represented in a non-stereotypical way. Uh, but so coming back to the affair, the actors are all white, living in the upper or middle class of New York and the coastal cities near um, near the city. But what is interesting with this show is the use of the gaze. It is the first show that I've seen that use different perspective mm -hmm. to put them all together. Um, so the storyline is sometimes repeated, sometimes continue, but through different characters' eyes. So it allows the spectator to understand that the image that it will see is always altered by one of the characters. And it is especially present in the first season. Um, the main female character and ma main... Uh, so there's two female characters, two male characters, and basically there is about two points of view per episode. Hmm. And there's eight to ten episodes per season. And so you see the same day and sometimes the same action because they interact through the eyes of one person and then, then the second person. And so it's very interesting first because for one, it shows that we always that we can't see the actual reality. We always see it through someone's eyes. And that's how in real life you, you live your life. You always yes. see the world through your eyes or through the eyes of someone else when they explain something to you. And so I like the idea of of that kind of use of the gaze. It's not specifically a male gaze or a female gaze, but it is the gaze. And technically, it is the gaze of male characters and of female characters. Um, and so even if that story doesn't have a specific female gaze overall, it does show the gaze of two main characters that are women. We see the action unfold through their eyes. We notice the different point of views and the way that they see the world very differently to their male uh, counterparts. And I have an example because if people haven't seen to show the affair, it might be a little bit complicated to understand. And I would highly suggest for you to watch it because it's very, it's a very adult, interesting show. I will um, totally watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it really starts from the first episode. Like they start with that dual, if not four different um, case. The first episode shows the, the point of view of the main female character and the main male character. We see the same scene through both of their eyes. First, through the eyes of the male character. Um, we see the scene how he sees it, and he meets this main character, this main female character, and he sees her, and it's a literal sexual objectification of her body. Um, he sees her with like beautiful hair, with a short skirt, uh, talking to him like she's trying to seduce him. And so it starts that way, and we're like, oh, okay, great, another male gaze. Awesome. <laughs> and then we arrive to the middle of the episode, and then it's her gaze. And we see the exact same thing, same scene through her eyes. And we see that she's not wearing a short skirt. She's not trying to seduce him. And so it is a distraction of what we have just seen before. And I don't know if it's what the series is trying to do, but we deconstruct that male gaze. Because we started with that male gaze and then we see her female perspective, female gaze, we can really understand how the male gaze is a way of seeing the world how it has been present throughout the history of the movie industry and the TV shows. And really, we can see that she's just, he saw her as this very beautiful, seducing woman that has her shit together. And basically, she does not. She is still mourning the death of her child. She is like over her head. She has too much to think about. She's tired. And it's very interesting, and that's what I love about that show, the actual physical characteristics changes depending on the gaze. And so it's a show that I would like to put in the spotlight because even though, uh, as I said with Hunger Games, it's not the extreme female gaze or the extreme male gaze. It's that in-between 
mm-hmm. but that show experiences. And that is uh, what I like about that show. I was always finding this critic where people said, okay, so if the male gaze is showing women objectifying their body, always like eye candy for men, what would be the eye candy for female then? For you, how could you reconstruct this erotic and this sexual scenes from a feminine perspective? How would you construct it? It's a very good question because depending on the definition that you use, it will vary. Um, For me, using a female gaze on sex scene and just woman's body is showing the body as they are. It's showing the diversity of women's body, but also men's body, obviously. Let's not leave them on the sides. It's not also not picturing always that beautiful Australian surfer (laughs) with like blonde hair, with like a really good abs. That's also very twisted. And males seeing that representation can also be really impacted by that. Mm. So for me, it applies both to male and female. And it's showing the reality, not showing very slim person. Or if you show a very slim girl, you can also show a girl that doesn't have a size zero. Um, When it comes to relations, it's like with girls, it's just showing the real relations. It's showing the hardness, but also the love in sex scenes is not doing... I don't know. I I always feel like sometimes... um, the shows and the TVs use sex scenes like porn should use it. You have very two different things. Porn is an objectification, but it's for a real purpose. The problem with shows and movies and the male gaze is that they objectify a body for their pleasure, for their sexual pleasure, when it shouldn't be. And so it's a very, it, we have to make a very clear difference between, because it's two types of medium, two type of things to watch. And I would like to take that sexual out of it. And it's complicated because I don't know how yet, um, but by continuing watching TV shows and movies that try to show more feminist perspective and female gaze, I will have a more clear idea on how I want to see it. It's a really hard question because... If you think about it, we've been all taught how to, you know, how to have sex, how to watch a movie. And it also gives a fake image to the viewer. So I think that right now changing the the film industry and the visual industry in general, it also gives like this new perspective, as you're saying, that sex is not only missionary and sex is not only the pleasure of men. And this is something that the male gaze has like installed in our history for, for how many years? Like we're used to watch this every time you watch a movie like sex scenes are sometimes just awkward but because you're like that's not what happens in real life you know how can you de- deconstruct this so intimate moment between two people without objectifying each other and still making it sensual that's why i like with the feminist case that we don't specifically just focus on sexual scenes but on representing the experience. That's what I like about Noteris and Braze and Soloway um, perspective on the on the female slash feminist case is that we show the experiences of women and we show them through their eyes. Mm-hmm. And that is something extremely important that needs to be more present in TV show, in movies, in literature, in just anything culture media. Because the way that it was presented before, even without a sex scene, is that those women, as you explained at the beginning of the podcast, we would see her breast. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice cleavage. <laughs> and so we would focus on her breast because it was all that we could see. Whereas with the feminist gaze and the female gaze, we see the person. We see their whole body and we listen when they speak. And that's the first step. Is seeing the person for who they are and not for their body. And that is, I think, what the female gaze is trying to do, is switching the the gaze to seeing parts of the female body, to seeing the entire body, what they're saying, understand what they're saying, living their experience with them. Because TV shows and movies, but also literature, one of the goals is to 
feel what the character is feeling. And what the female case is trying to do is feel what a woman feels, but what she actually feels and experience, not what a guy would like to experience as a female. I really love everything you're saying because this is so true and it's something that has to be said. You could maybe tell us about another show like this previous one, like Girls or Death Air, another one yes. that you could recommend. Yes, and I would actually go on the other side of the ocean this time and talk about a British show. Mm -hmm. um, one show that has struck me on a different level, but in the same way as Girl did, um, is the show Fleabag. It's a newer show. Mm -hmm. It was created, written, and played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And again, it is a female-driven show and on and off screen. I think you can see the pattern here. Um, and it, it really deconstructs a lot of feminine standard through the use of, of a very specific cinematic artifact. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the series actually so appealing, different, and interesting. It breaks the fourth wall. Uh, for people who don't know what breaking the fourth wall in cinema is, is that usually characters will not look at the camera straight and talk to it. There's this um, this norm in cinema where this there is a wall in between the spectator and the characters, and the characters can never look at that wall. Mm -hmm. She does it. She breaks it completely, and she talks to the spectator. <laughs> and through that... Phoebe's character completely deconstructs the character's action, feelings, relation to others, sexuality, through a direct dialogue with the spectators. And you have this all the time. For example, the first scene that you see is her commenting on a sex scene. She explains what a what-night stand is. <laughs> and completely deconstruct the male's action as well. And so so, so what does she say about it? Um, what she says about it is that she actually, she knows what he's about to do. Um, and so usually when the t stereotypical, she also take a very stereotypical way of representing a white night stand. The guy comes to her door, they have sex, um, and then he decides to not have sex in a missionary position, but to go by the back. Mm -hmm. And so she also foresees that. She foresees everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and so she, for example, with that specific uh, little part, she's like, um, he just starts to hug me, and then he will go by the back and say, this is amazing, I've never done this before. And then she starts looking at the camera and you hear the guy say, oh my God, I've never done this before. <laughs> and then they fall asleep and then they wake up and she just straight to the camera say, I wake up and I find him looking at me. Um, he's on the side of the bed looking at me. Um, and basically then she starts, she stops looking at the spectators and you see him and then she, continue, she continues by being like, he's going to put my hair Um, behind my ear, he's going to kiss me, he's going to be, um, it has been great, I'll text you. He says it, he leaves, and then he says, but he will never. And then, end of the scene. <laughs> I have to watch this series. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very, it's not for everyone, I would say. It's a very British and also dark humor. It deals with a lot of heavy topics with... Mm -hmm. um, um, What do you mean by like, heavy topics? Well, with sexuality, uh, with being, oh, quote-unquote, over-sexual, end of quote, for a female character, mm -hmm. uh, we always have this feeling that male characters are way more sexual than female. And here, she is a female that loves to have sex, and mm -hmm. it's fine. She loves it. Um, but I also deal with the loss of a friend, um, with also miscarriages and um psychological like mental health mm -hmm. is, is this series um the kind of series that at the big like we were talking about the hunger games you know like yeah. she is through all the series looking for only one night stand ha enjoying having sex but then at the end 
she finds a, a guy and then they fall in love and then they are in a relationship. No, it's it's okay. more complicated than that okay. uh, because she she had a boyfriend. She has an on and off boyfriend who's also very weird and who's like I'll never talk to you again but then they end up having sense getting back together and then she does something like like masturbating and he can't deal with her masturbating and so he breaks up with her and and that kind of stuff uh she's she is single because she chooses to be also that's something very important uh and she is active in trying to find someone but for her pleasure mm-hmm She's not trying to find love because she wants to have a family and everything. She wants to find someone because she wants to have sex with them because she wants to have a normal, true relationship. But that's not her only thing. She also owns a coffee shop and takes care of that coffee shop. So her whole narrative doesn't turn around um, a relationship. She explains what she thinks. She acts. Uh, she explains why she acts to, that way, and it brings the story and the, the telling of a woman's experience to a whole new level, it's a completely different way of filming um, that allows the spectator to understand in a completely new way the feelings and the point of view of the main character. Um, it's very interesting. And I think the, the breaking of the fourth wall plays in a very deep role in that because you can really, on a whole new way, show the deconstruction of everything that the society has taught us. And also, she deconstructs her, her action herself, so she has a very good like self-reflection. Um, and that is why it's a great show that has a feminist and female gaze. Now, um, there is another show that you would like to talk about? Yes, um, it's the last show we'll talk about. It Really, it's really close to my heart because it's completely different from everything that I've explained and exemplified before. Um, it's called Little Fires Everywhere. It came out in 2020 on Amazon Prime. That all those shows that I explained before, they have an incredible work on telling a woman's story, a woman's experience. They use the feminist gaze. They do focus on a very specific type of woman. And therefore, that's why I would like to add this show. Because it is produced and starred by Reese Ritherspoon and Kerry Washington. It tells the story of two very different women who cross paths in a suburban town in the US. On the one side, we have Reese Ritherspoon character. We all know Reese Ritherspoon. I don't need to, I think, introduce no, her. No, I think um, she's a <laughs> So her character is a very uptight, upper class, white mother and wife. She's a very stereotypical suburban mom, we could call. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, we have Carrie Washington, who played the main role in Scandal. Um, and her character is a single working class Afro-American mom. So complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> to draw parallels with the other show, um, it is a woman-led on and off um, TV show who talks from the point of view of women and tell their stories. But what makes it stand out is the complete intersectionality it represents. And I believe it's very important to talk about intersectionality, especially nowadays. That is why I would really like, um, if you can take one thing out of this podcast is, or if you can only watch one show, is to go watch that one. Because it's kind of like the, the right evolution of TV towards a female gaze through intersectionality. Could you maybe so, give the definition yes. of intersectionality for those that don't know what it is? Yes, of course. So intersectionality is a concept that was um, developed by Kimberly Crenshaw in uh, the 1980s. It follows the movement of black feminism. So to make a big story very brief, the second wave feminism that was in the 60s was very focused on white middle class female And therefore, the racial and class minority um, women felt very excluded. And um, some Afro-American women created black feminism, who basically takes into account that there's not only the gender that counts in de-discrimination, but also race. Race is a very, at least in the U.S., a very important factor of discrimination. And so they wanted to put into light the experiences of women in racial minorities, so Afro-American, Latinas, um, like 
also Asian African women, um, older's perspective that weren't put into the spotlight with the second wave feminism. And Kimberly Crenshaw with Intersectionally comes right after that. And it kind of uh, theorize what the black feminists said. Intersectionality is understanding that gender cannot be understood alone. Gender is at the intersection of different social characteristics, and we need to take all of those social characteristics into account as part of the same equation. It's not, I am white and a female, therefore this. It's not a and it like it's not a plus. It's something that needs to be understood together. And therefore, when you understand all of those social characters together, you can understand the woman's experience, and you can understand that women are very different. They lead, they they lead different life. They have different perspective and opinion on the world because they were raised differently because of their social characteristic background. And so, to make a little conclusion. Intersectionally, intersectionality really focuses on the fact that you need to take all of social characteristics into account in order to... Un- so it tells the story of two women that couldn't be more opposite and meet and create sparks because obviously they came from two different, um, like two completely actually different backgrounds. And so when they meet, having an uptight white mother who has her, who seems to have her shit together. And then someone who just move, who seems to be always on the run, hiding something, is going to create sparks. Personally, watched the, so there's eight episodes of the show. I watched it in two days because it was so good. <laughs> the, the novelty that it brings, the layer of critique about American society that enfolds, the absolute and non-apologetic intersectionality that the show uses, makes it a messy and powerful show. You can see that the female gaze is present in every crevices of the show. The point of view of two different women, so telling their experiences, but not just one experience, more. The deconstruction of the perfect mother at home and white woman persona that was built in the U.S. in the 50s. So basically, in order to get women to stay at home, they created this um, mother at home persona. And that is what is supposed to represent Reese with this one character. But you can see that as the episodes go on, she's not that perfect. She has a lot of difficulties with her with her role. She also has not a so-called perfect marriage. And so that persona that is supposed to represent what America wanted mm-hmm. in the 50s is completely, completely not realistic and not true. So you have those as well, but you have the not objectifying gaze on both the female and the male body. You have the deconstruction of sex, the fact that um, sex can be very different. It can be heterosexual, it can be homosexual, it can be very missionary, go like once a week, but also sometimes more than once a week or less than once a week. And how sexuality is actually about how you are feeling that day. And it's not mechanic. Um, so you have that as well, which I found very interesting because we don't see a lot of that in TV shows. Uh, usually we we just see the sex scene and we're like, oh, okay, they probably wanted it. Here they talk about not wanting to have sex or why they would like to have sex and what sex is used for is having a kid or is just for pleasure. It's very a really interesting talk about sex that I feel should be more talked about in TV shows and movies, but you also have the critique of minorities, inequality, and the roles of mothers. So you really have that female gaze that goes across a large variety of aspects in uh, people, like in the character's life. It's not just the sexual objectification of the body. It's really the deconstruction of the entirety of how a woman should be. Mm-hmm. And it's made both by... Kerry Washington, but also Reese with a spoon. And that's why it's also very interesting to have those two characters that couldn't be more opposite, is that because they're so opposite, it helps deconstruct all types of women and help understand how women are different and how it's very important to um, to understand and underline so many different women's experience. And one last thing I would say about that show is that these two actresses are also very vocal about feminism and race issue in their real life. And that gives an extra um, an extra layer 
of feminist gaze to that show. Uh, what about the movie or a show that is not produced in the Anglo-Saxon world? Um, I would recommend The Portrait of a Lady on Fire by Céline Siama. So it's a it's a French movie that was um, that was released yeah in 2019. Um, it's a French movie directed by a woman with two female leads, and it talks about gender, sexual orientation, and it deconstructs very interesting like feminine standard at a certain time that I haven't talked about in previous example. It really refers to a certain period of time uh, that is not this time and that is not like a contemporary time. Maybe you could give another example of, of the French cinema or the European cinema. I am not the best person to ask that, um, <laughs> simply because I have always focused my research on the US and I do not watch a lot of French television, but I what I could say is from what I've seen, we need to have more female feminist gaze in European cinema, or at least the French cinema. We start having it with Céline Siama. Uh, it is true that she is a filmmaker that has been trying to incorporate uh, that feminist gaze, feminine gaze, um, female gaze, sorry. So she has been a filmmaker that has been trying to implement a female slash feminist gaze into her work. I could also maybe just mention um, La Leçon de Piano, mm -hmm. which is a little bit older, but also talks about a woman's experience. And really we can feel what she's feeling, we can experience what she's experiencing. And that would be another example of um, a French movie that talks about the feminist case. Mm -hmm. And the last movie we will talk about is Wonder Woman. Although nobody needs a reminder of what this movie is about, not only because it's Gal Gadot, David Tewlis, Chris Pine and more, but also because of its importance as one of the biggest female roles in the comic world. What was your reaction to the movie? Was it a feminist movie for you? And what about the female case? Has it passed the test? I must say I had really big hopes when I saw the first trailer. I loved the story of the Amazon. I, I always have, I, I find this uh, mythology of the Amazon to be extremely great because they have fierce women that fight uh, for what they believe they do not need men. To, to live their life. And so I was very interesting, interested in watching the movie for that mythology, but also because um, I have studied a little bit Wonder Woman and the representation that it has had since its creation. But after watching the movie, I must say I have very mixed feelings. Um, for me, it was really to, to have it very in a brief explanation it has potential but it didn't meet what i expected maybe tell me more about why you find it not as feminist as what we could read in some media yes um so i love it was directed by female director and it put forward an incredible woman of dc comics that as you actually already said uh but i would like to put an emphasis on it because it is very important um DC Comics and comic books in general are known for being a very masculine world, at least what we've seen with movies uh, from like Marvel and DC. Um, it has been a very masculine world. And so it's incredible to see a woman of DC Comics uh, through the persona also of Gal Gadot. Um, the image of Wonder Woman is actually very interesting because the first strip, the first comic strip that was created was not as sexually objectifying as it has gone over the years. Um, the creator actually draw inspiration from feminist uh, people. She, he also had two very important women in his life that, has inf that have influenced him extremely, extremely much. And so I would say that this movie isn't like some of the comics that came out and it does correlate a lot more with the first Wonder Woman than what has gone through after. Um, it has a very empowering message for young women, but for me it is not completely free of stereotype, and so I don't think it is a female gaze, but it's definitely towards, like, within the continuum of male gaze to female gaze, it's near the female gaze without being completely a female gaze. Um, and I would like to explain a little bit, because I know that this 
movie, a lot of people loved it and thought it was a very feminist movie, and others were saying that it wasn't. And so I'm a little bit in between, and I'd like to explain um, why Please I am in ahead. that position. Of course. <laughs> so I loved the first part of the movie. Uh, the Amazons are just incredible. They have feminine and masculine traits. They learn to fight. They're amazing at fighting. They also have a sorority that is very strong. And in feminism, the concept of sorority is extremely, extremely important. Uh, Bell Hooks have talked about it, for example. And to explain a little bit what sorority is, is the fact that women can unify in their different experience, but gather together in order to have a voice and to express the different experiences, is not competing, but working together in order to have a uh, better understanding of what women's experiences. And so I believe that the Amazon are an incredible example of a sorority. And so it makes the perfect recipe. But then the movie takes a turn, literally takes a turn, when the men arrive on the island. <laughs> and so even if the goal of Diana <laughs> is to return this human safely into like to Earth, she embarks in a quest that will make her fall in love with a man. And I feel like that destroyed the the purpose or the lifestyle of the Amazon because she goes against everything that she's been brought for. Like she, she lived in a society that was female centered and about sorority. And then she falls in love with a man. And I feel like this is a very stereotypical representation that we see in cinema, unfortunately. And so it is true. Like we can, we can draw a parallel with Katniss of the Hunger Games. It is true that she's constantly saving him. He cannot really save himself and so she's always there to save him always there to save other men but the story her story from the point that he arrives in her life her story wouldn't exist if it weren't for him and i feel like that's a big drawback therefore the movie falls into a very stereotype um that is present in a lot of other movies it puts forward the love relationship, the relationship with a man, I may add, um, not even a um, homosexual relationship or a bisexual, but like it's just very heterosexual. And so it puts forward that relation instead of the woman's sorority from the first minutes, minutes of, the, of the movie. Her costume also stays the same, and that's the costume also stays the same. She doesn't have a lot on her. And that is in line with former representation of Wonder Woman, but therefore it continues to sexualize her body. I I didn't say that the camera objectifies her body because it, the camera definitely doesn't objectify her body, but keeping the same apparel that she always have at the same time allows people to know directly who she is, but at the same time, Personally, I feel like it continues just people see her, think about the comics, instantly sexualizing her body. And so that's also something that is a little bit complicated because where, how can we represent her and directly know who she is, but at the same time not having that correlation between her body sexualization? So it's something that I think for the next Wonder Woman that's going to come out, they should really think about. Because it is true that the director isn't trying to objectify her body. It definitely, the camera is not there for that, for that purpose. It really follows her, her experience. But because of who Wonder Woman is in the comic industry and in the movies, we have that correlation that has been made. And so finally, and I have the, the same feeling for Captain Marvel, uh, though not as strong, uh, but she is shows as invincible. And it could be argued that it's because it's a superheroine story, and then therefore it's normal that she's invincible, but it shows a certain type of model for young girls, one that does not represent the reality of light, because unfortunately, nowadays, women are not invincible in the society. Uh, we have glass ceilings. We have um, not the same opportunity as men because of several um, reasons. And so I personally feel it's harder to access her experience in point of view because 
she just can go through anything. But nonetheless, and I would like to end my analysis on Wonder Woman on this, is that I would like to underline that I am, despite having some negative thoughts on Wonder Woman, I am beyond happy for young girls, that they get to grow up with two fierce, incredible, strong, empowered women. Because when I was younger and I was watching uh, shows, we didn't have as much female representation and heroin. Um, I had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is an incredible show and an incredible heroine, but it was one of the few. And so it's incredible to see the evolution of feminine representation and the empowerment of those representation and that it goes in the, the, the right directions that we see more and more empowered women on TV because it does influence the perception we have uh, when we grow up. We, we do our influence by what we see on TV. And so I am so happy that we get to see Wonder Woman being so fierce and just going through the First World War and basically helping um, the Allies to win. And that is something that I think is very important to say, no matter uh, what I might feel about the movie and her persona, it is very refreshing to see that and not just superhero Dora Man. It's hard to choose who is going to portray this, as you say, the fierce Wonder Woman. How can you really decide upon the costume, upon how should her features be, you know? How could it be to make it less, you know, objectifying? Yeah, the camera doesn't doesn't objectify Wonder Woman at all. It just glorifies what she does. But how could you suggest her costume to be then? I think... And it goes back to a very um, current topic in um, in the reality of our of our society right now. I don't think it's about the costume. I think it's about the gaze. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that and use that excuse. It's a complete excuse, and I do not agree with it. But a lot of people say, "Oh, she has a short skirt, so I am allowed to look at her butt. She has a big cleavage, so if I look at her boobs, she wants it." And I find it to be the most absurd argument because we should be able to dress the way we want. Wonder Woman should be able, if she wants, to fight in her underwear. Yep to fight in a very light, because it is true, if you have a lot of things on you, it's harder to fight. So having something that is very clean, um, not very heavy, will help you. But the problem is that the gaze is still very much sexualizing. And so what I would say is, unfortunately, right now, we have to find a way to make her not as sexual. But in the long term, And I would love it for it to be not long-term, to be short-term. But we have to really switch the gaze that we have on people. When we see Wonder Woman, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, she's so sexual because she has nothing on her. We should be thinking she looks incredible and she's a good fighter. Or even we, we shouldn't even be thinking about what her body looks like. We should be thinking about her actions. And that is something that unfortunately... I don't see it change in the very near future, but that is one thing that I would love to see, is switching the gaze from sexualizing to just humanizing, can we say that? Just a human gaze, where you don't see people for the body, you see them for who they are. And that is what should be happening with Wonder Woman. It would be lovely to see the next movie and not think, with that male gaze, to see her and be like, she's a badass, she's fierce, she's strong, and doing a complete abstraction of her apparel. I really love that you make the connection with this. It is true that like we are blaming on what women are wearing, where they are, with who they are. It is portrayed in our actual society. It is crazy. It is, it yes. is crazy. And that is why it's so important to, ch- to switch the gaze because as you said the male gaze has been going on for so long that we are used to 
seeing TV shows and reality through that gaze. It's the patriarchal gaze. It's the way that women compare themselves to each other, fight against each other instead of having a sorority of being like, wow, you look incredible. We're different, but you look incredible. You're so smart. And it's those, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. it's those positive affirmation that should prevail instead of fighting. And that's something that is changing in society right now. We can see a switch. Women can be feminist. Male can be feminist. We should all be feminists. We should all be feminists and we should all think about the equality of everyone. We might not agree with someone, but as long as we accept them and we understand them, it is the most important thing. Would you like to add anything before we close this episode? Yes. Um, (laughs) Before we end this episode, I would just like to highlight a very important element uh, regarding the female and male gaze. There is a difference between feminist film TV shows and the female slash feminist gaze. Some feminist shows don't have a female gaze. There is an increase in feminist shows, but that still objectified the body of the main characters or that are in this continuum. They are slowly getting away from the male gaze, but not getting to the female gaze yet. Of course, there's more caution about how women are represented, but usually where there's a problem is the sex scenes. The female gaze is also, as you explained, an emerging concept that is not accepted by everyone and still needs to be spoken about. And so just as this new concept is new, the male gaze is a term that refers to thousands and thousands of years of filmmaking, just like we were speaking about. The male gaze has been the center of the filming industry for decades, and therefore making the spectators so used to seeing this gaze to the point where they didn't even realize it. And as you say, Sometimes, even if we are aware that there's a female gaze, when we watch a movie, we just use that male gaze because that's how we are taught, that's what influenced us when we were growing up. And so the most important thing to take away from this episode is to realize that women's body are not objects. I think if there's one thing that needs to be understood about female gaze and feminist gaze is that women's body are not objects. There are parts of a person, of a character, These characters have a life, they have a background story, they have feelings, they have moral characteristics. And so women, as well as men, I would like to highlight that as well, is that all bodies in mainstream TV and film shouldn't be seen for their beauties, but for the character as a whole. They should be taken seriously and judged on their behavior, their action, their thoughts, but not solely on the way that they look. There is also, as we spoke, a need for diversity and the rejections of stereotypes that is currently increasing. There's a lot of movies and TV shows now that show more diversity, but we desperately need more. And especially in light of old news this past few years about racial inequalities, about feminism that is accepted but also not accepted, we need more diversity, representation of intersectionality, representation of different women's body, women's experience, but also male's experience. We need a diversity in order to represent what our society is and stay away from the stereotypes that have been built for thousands and thousands of years and enter a new way of representing people for not what they look like, but who they are. I don't know if you agree with this. Um, I agree completely. And I'm sure that you have something to I, add about I it. I really <laughs> agree completely that we just have to change the the way we are looking at everyone. That this judgy kind of perspective that we always have, that we are like constantly judging by the looks and not really getting to the whole, as you're saying, people are more than just a body. You, you ha- they have feelings, they have a life, as you say, a background. I really, f- and also like, um, I really, I mentioned it before at the beginning of the podcast, but we really need diversity and we need to show that there's not only this wild, white male or female perspective of the world, even in cinema or in even in the real life. I mean, arts in general are used to portray something, to portray something that we are at the end. I mean, all the arts and culture that we are doing right now are the ones that are going to be 
and define us uh, in further generations. So if we continue like this, like we have to open our minds. And I hope that this podcast really, with everything you said, because you really illustrated the point of this podcast, that we really need to continue this this fight you know against each other at the end because we really need to open our eyes and see that there is more than what we are used to and that we have to accept and we have to respect that there is more than one norm we have to respect that we are all different and not really care about what makes us similar but what makes us different and why is that so interesting So I really thank you a lot, Lily, for, you for all this me. conversation. <laughs> and really, like, uh, I wish you the best. And uh, I hope that we have you back in this podcast again. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>